Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Debrief. I'm Whit Johnson. A busy news day, and we're talking to correspondents who are following the biggest stories around the world, including the very latest on the government shutdown, now the longest in history, a celebrity chef and a kitchen in Washington actually feeding furloughed government workers for free. Also, we're getting more information about that terrorist attack in Kenya, learning now that an American is among the victims. We'll also go to California, the nation's second largest school district. Teachers on the picket lines there protesting. We'll get to the bottom of what is happening there. First, though, a check your top headlines. Round two this morning for Attorney General nominee William Barr. Back on Capitol Hill for more questions in his Senate confirmation hearing. Senator spent much of day one asking about Robert Mueller's investigation. I have the utmost respect for Bob and his distinguished record of public service. And when he was named special counsel, I said his selection was good news and that knowing him, I had confidence he would handle the matter properly. A new caravan of Central American migrants heading toward the United States has crossed its first border. About 500 people, including dozens of children, now moved into Guatemala from Honduras. McDonald's has lost a big trademark battle over the Big Mac. The company has been fighting another fast food chain named Supermax, which is based in Ireland. McDonald's claimed Supermax was violating its trademark for the Big Mac sandwich, but European regulars sided with the Irish company. That means McDonald's no longer has the rights to its Big Mac's trademark in the European Union. It looks like there's a deal in place to keep Sears open. Those close to the negotiations reporting Sears Holdings has agreed to move forward with a more than $5 billion bid by Chairman Eddie Lampert's hedge fund to save Sears and the jobs of 50,000 employees. YouTube is putting new rules in place after a string of videos imitating blindfolded people inspired by the movie Bird Box. The site is now banning any videos that show people risking serious danger or death. We do, though, want to get right to some breaking news. We're getting information about attack in Syria and also learning some more information about who the casualties are involved in this attack. Let's go right to Louis Martinez, who's joining us live from the Pentagon now. Uh, Louis, just walk us through what we know about what's happened so far today. What we do know is that there was an explosion outside of a restaurant in the northwest Syrian town of Manbij, and that some American service members were killed. That information coming from the U.S. military spokesman in Baghdad, confirming that there were U.S. military troops among the 15 wounded—excuse me, the 15 killed—that uh, are believed to have been a result of this incident. This was a suicide bomb attack. Uh, ISIS is identifying the bomber. Uh, they described that this individual was wearing a suicide vest um, and that he exploded uh, the bomb outside of this facility, and that resulted in uh, casualties. Now, there are local casualties, and as we now know, there are also American military service members, but the U.S. military is staying away from identifying how many at this point. Uh, what we do know is that they were on a foot patrol through this town. Now, most people don't know where Manbij is or how important it is strategically in Syria. Uh, Manbij is a place in far western Syria where the U.S. normally doesn't operate, but it has essentially sent peacekeepers there, um, American troops that are buffer between Turkish forces that want to take over the town, a Kurdish uh, military that uh, op operates there, 
the Russians that are also nearby, um, as well as the Assad regime troops that are also close by. It's a vitally strategic town. It's the reason why U.S. military troops are there. Um, they've—and one reason why this is such a tragic incident, because they are there, essentially, to in a peacekeeping role, to keep the peace between these various groups. And, in effect, they have become some of the victims in this uh, big, deadly attack. And, Louis, beyond the sad news of the U.S. casualties here, the significance of this, the backdrop of this attack on the fact that the U.S. is now planning its withdrawal from the region. We know there's been a lot of back and forth. This was supposed to happen quickly after an announcement came from the president, and then it was scaled back a little bit. Just remind us where that troop withdrawal stands right now. It is in a holding pattern, Went because the president did make his announcement that he wanted all 2,000 U.S. troops to leave Syria. Um, and then we saw some adjustments made. Initially, it was going to be Turkey taking on the fight against ISIS. The president had said that, for the most part, ISIS had been defeated in Syria. Well, it turned out that maybe Turkey wanted more U.S. assistance in order to make that happen. Then National Security Advisor John Bolton goes over to the region and states out some conditions that the United States wanted conditions or assurances from Turkey that they would not attack America's. Kurdish partners who have been bearing the brunt of the fight against ISIS uh, in Syria. Um, but Turkish President Erdogan rejected that outright. Um, and so it's been back and forth exactly where things are headed. And so it essentially, it's in a holding pattern right now. And it remains to be seen what, if any, impact this attack could have on all of that as well. Louis Martinez at the Pentagon for us. Thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. I want to get right to our Karen Travers at the White House because no doubt the president is watching this in the administration. Uh, Karen, if you could just tell us what, if anything, the president knows or has said about this attack in Syria. With the White House says the president has been fully briefed on the attack in Syria and they are monitoring the situation closely, but no other reaction yet since we learned that U.S. service members were killed. And to follow up on what Louis Martinez said, this of course comes a month after the president called for that withdrawal of 2,000 U.S. troops from Syria. But when he made that call, he also declared victory over ISIS. The president said that ISIS in Syria had been defeated and that was the only reason that he was continuing to have a U.S. presence there, and that's why he wanted troops out. No word yet on how this factors into the president's calculation on this, whether this means he'll continue to push for troops to get out, or if this now means they would need to remain there in that security capacity. And that declaration of victory, certain, certainly very uh, controversial, even within uh, members of his own party, the Republicans on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. I do, though, Karen, want to transition to the government shutdown, now by far the longest in U.S. history. There's been this stalemate in the negotiations. And today we're just getting word that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is sending a letter to the president asking him to delay his State of the Union address while the shutdown continues. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly a bad sign that uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, thinks that this will still be going in 13 days. The State of the Union was scheduled for Tuesday, January 29th. Traditionally, uh, the House Speaker invites the President to come up to Capitol Hill and deliver that address to the nation in front of Congress. But Pelosi says that they, she is suggesting that the White House and her team work together to come up with a suitable date after government has been reopened. She also cited security issues because, of course, it's a fortress up on Capitol Hill on State of the Union nights with you have the cabinet there. You have members of the Supreme Court and the entire Congress. Uh, it's quite a security operation. She says that right now it's just too difficult to try and see that you could logistically pull that off with so many agencies shuttered and workers furloughed. 
And, and what's interesting about this shutdown, we've covered shutdowns in the past, um, this one the longest, but also on top of that, unlike the others we've seen, nobody seems to be talking anymore. There's a complete stalemate. Is there an update at all in the negotiations between the president and Democrats? not the Democrats that count in this wit. Remember last week, the president sat down with Republican leaders and Democratic leaders, and that meeting ended after just 14 minutes. The president left and on Twitter called it a total waste of time. Yesterday, the White House invited a group of Republicans and Democrats to come to the White House and talk about border security. Wit, no Democrats took him up on the offer. It was just Republicans. And the White House is pointing that to that to say that Democrats don't want to negotiate, that they need to come to the table. They need to start these conversations. But with the meeting yesterday, another one that's scheduled for today with a group of House Democrats and Republicans, these are not the people that are going to cut a deal with the president that would result in the shutdown ending. Ultimately, this is going to come down to President Trump, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer. And for now, there are no meetings scheduled between those three. And no end in sight for now, anyway. Karen Travers at the White House for us. Thank you so much. We do appreciate it. I also want to talk about just the, the broader impact of this shutdown because in the middle of all of this it can't be lost 800,000 federal workers are either working without pay or furloughed there are some people who are trying to help though let's bring in our Rachel Scott in Washington DC because celebrity chef Jose Andres is uh, helping out at World Central Kitchen and they're uh, Rachel trying to actually feed some of these government workers who aren't taking home a paycheck tell us what's going on there yeah, that's right. Well, the doors just opened here, and we're already seeing dozens and dozens of furloughed workers and their families come here for a hot meal. And I just want to say how unusual this is for this organization, World Central Kitchen, to be doing this. They are used to providing disaster relief for victims of hurricanes and wildfires. But today, they are providing hot meals to families they say are affected by another disaster, the disaster within the federal government, they say. So just take a look behind me. You can see the line already building up here. They are serving hot meals. Meals, and they say their standards really haven't changed. And disasters, they say, like this one, it really goes back to if people are able to prepare food and get food. And obviously, people are very affected by this shutdown. As you mentioned, 800,000 federal workers are affected. Let's go ahead and meet one of those people right now. Go ahead, sir. Excuse me. Annie is here. Annie, wow. you are a furloughed fellow worker. I Where am. do you work? I work at the Food and Drug Administration. And so today you are here because you said that you had a lot of time on your hands. So you're not just furloughed, but you're volunteering? Right, absolutely. It seemed like a really nice opportunity to give back um, and do something with my time in a way that's going to be meaningful and hopefully help some people um, who are struggling. How has this impacted you? Um, it's really kind of just caused me to really be sort of stir crazy. I'm anxious to get back to work. It was, you know, okay during the holidays when you're celebrating the holidays. But now that, you know, we're into January, um, I love the work that I do and the people I work with. And we have a really great mission at the FDA that I love to be a part of. And so I'm just sort of more anxious about when and being able to get back to work. Yeah, speaking of anxious, we're going into day 26. Uh, there appears to not be any end in sight here. How are you preparing for that? Um, I've been keeping track of my budget just to make sure I'm not, you know, spending too much money or anything like that and um, just sort of keeping an eye out and been trying to just do something, you know, get myself organized, donated a bunch of stuff to Goodwill, you know, kind of doing the Mary condoing types of stuff. Well, I'm out, but it's sort of hard to make any more plans than that since we don't know when you'll be going back uh, to the office. 
Do you have a message to the president and or congressional Democrats and Republicans? I think ultimately, I think everyone, a lot of people agree on most of the things. So it's really just a matter of getting everyone together and moving forward in some kind of way that um, will help the American people. Now, you aren't the only one. There are other furloughed workers here that are volunteering their time. Uh, you know, I just talked to one representative who told me they're actually turning away people. There's just simply too many chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, did you ever think that you would be in this position? No, I didn't, uh, you know, think it would have lasted this long. And it's, you know, unfortunate. And it's great that, you know, there's organizations willing to help in. And I'm happy to be able to help in some way and some kind of small way of giving back. Awesome. Thank you so much, Annie. I really appreciate your time. And so they are prepared to serve 2,000 meals here today. And the organization, the organizers that I spoke with say this is a national issue. Obviously, this is open just right here in D.C., but they said if this continues, they may have to expand and they may have to reach out to the rest of the country. That's right. Rachel Scott for us and Chef Jose Andres. He's been known for doing this in Puerto Rico, disaster zones, hurricanes, fires. So a lot of people coming together trying to help out. Rachel, thank you. We appreciate it. Let's transition to another story out of California. A massive teacher strike underway in the nation's second biggest school district. Teachers are out on the streets. They are protesting. Meanwhile, the district is, is somewhat paralyzed as this continues. Teachers, parents, kids all trying to figure out where everything goes from here. So let's go live on the ground to our Romina Puga, who is there in Studio City, uh, talking to people who are on the picket lines. Romina, what's happening on the ground right now? Good morning, Wit. I'm here at Carpenter Avenue Charter School in Studio City. And as you can see, they're picketing this morning, and this group is prepared. They have not a boombox, an amp blasting music. They have donuts, they have coffee, and as you can see, it's not just teachers. There are students, there are parents. This is the third day of the strike, and they're doing this all across the district at different schools in the morning, showing their support. In oh, And they're shutting down the music, actually, right now. So, but I don't think that'll kill this group's buzz. Um, let's find someone to talk to here. There's a bunch of parents, teachers. Are you guys parents or teachers? Yes. Teachers? Can you tell me a bit about day three? What's the mood here today? I would say it's pretty fantastic. So, yeah, I'm a retired teacher, but I substitute now. And I was in another school where I lived in, up in Takanga. We didn't have, they're a little school. Yeah. But this is like phenomenal. Yeah, we have really so empowering. Much. Were you guys at the march on Monday? Yes. Yeah. 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 That was really empowering. Yeah. Unbelievable. What do you think has been more impactful, the picketing at the schools or the big rallies? I don't know. I'm used They're to both. big rallies. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> these are a smaller group, and then down yeah. there, it's just I was un in unreal. Such I was a great in feeling. And why are you here? What are you guys demanding? I want smaller class sizes, less testing, um, you know, full-time nurse and librarian. And counselors. Counselors, yeah. yeah. No raise in the last 10 years. Not even cost of living. Yeah. It's about our students. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Let's keep going. So they turned the music down, but as you can see, this picked right back up. Everyone is still screaming and chanting. Let's see who else we can talk to while we're here. Hi, are you guys parents or teachers? Teachers. Teachers. A and a teacher right here. Oh, a parent and a, a teacher? You're a double? <laughs> How long are you are you guys willing to strike for? As long as it takes. Yeah. Yes. We're fighting for public education and our students and we need cl a smaller class sizes. We need less testing and we just need a better working environment for our students. 
And how, what's the mood today, day three? How long do you think this will go on for? I think we're all united and we're hoping that they'll get back to the bargaining table today. Yeah. That's our hope. We want to be back in our classrooms. We miss teaching so much. I want to be with my students. I don't want to be on the picket lines, but I want what's best for our future. So we're here. Yeah, we're getting that a lot, that they obviously don't want to be here. They want to be in their classrooms. It's cold. It's raining. This is the third day where they've been braving the cold and the rain. And uh, again, the picketing at schools. There's been the rallies Mondays and Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. Monday had tens of thousands of supporters, not just teachers, but parents, students. Uh, yesterday had a huge rally. There's another rally, I think, Friday or Monday. So again, this is happening at a local level and then these huge rallies that are getting national attention. And it's important to get that national attention to hopefully put more pressure and get the funding that they need. Um, we actually yesterday met a woman who is a teacher of 19 years. She's striking and her husband, she's in a unique situation. Her husband works for Homeland Security and he's furloughed because of the government shutdown so neither of them are getting a paycheck he'll get some back pay but she won't uh, we talked a little bit about how they're dealing with those finances what help they're getting and how long they're willing to strike so take a listen goodness we didn't want to strike but we have a nurse one day a week we have a counselor one day a week and we want it for our, our students so you know we're going for it but it's been difficult with him being furloughed and not being paid I took another credit card so we can get a little cash if we need to, but right now, I mean, we've, we've been holding through so right. far. They're saying it could be a long haul. The one in 89 was nine days, but um, I don't know, the rumor is it could be a while. I don't know what a while is, a week, two weeks. We want to make sure class size isn't, you know, we're at 24 now, but often I carry 26. Ellie Unified has talked about K through, I'm a second grade teacher, talked about going up to 27. And you just can't give the boys and girls what they need with 27 students, there's just no way. As Shannon said, this could take a while, but they do just want to get back to their classroom, so hopefully there will be a resolution soon, and the striking will pay off for these teachers. Hey, Romina, I wanted to ask you, we've heard some of the issues there. Obviously, class size is a big part of it. Uh, I lived in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. Many of those schools are just bursting at the seams. Uh, teacher pay. But where yeah. does it go from here? Where do the negotiations stand right now? And what is the next step in all of this? Well, they haven't resumed negotiations yet, so they're hoping to get back to negotiating and, and figuring out how they can fund not just the higher pay and the smaller classrooms, but also essential staff. A lot of these schools don't have nurses full-time or counselors full-time, so it is a long, it's a list of things that they want, and it, this was a last resort for teachers. They did not want to be out here. They did not want to strike, so uh, hopefully this will actually lead to the change that they've been fighting for for a long time. Certainly a massive school district, hundreds of thousands of uh, students impacted as well. Romina, uh, Romina Puga for us in Los Angeles. Thank you. We do appreciate it. Let's transition now to the very latest on that terror attack in Kenya. We are now learning that an American is among the victims. Let's go to our Ian panel in Nairobi. Yeah, hi, Wiss. We're just down the road from the hotel complex that came under attack at about 3 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. Not sure quite how much you can make out, but there are still heavily armed uh, soldiers here. We've seen police and investigators are, of course, scouring the sites, looking for evidence. But we now know from the Kenyan authorities that all five attackers were killed during the attempt by anti-terror forces to retake the compound. 
This is what we understood uh, actually happened, that there were five attackers. One of them entered a restaurant on the compound and detonated a suicide vest. The other four operated in two distinct teams of two. We spoke to an eyewitness who was working on the site. He's a videographer, uh, and he says that he saw the four men, that he describes them as wearing bulletproof vests uh, with a lot of uh, spare cartridges, magazines around their waist, uh, and they were all carrying AK-47s. They moved into the hotel itself and started to operate room by room, searching for people. He said he saw them shooting at anybody who looked out the window. They themselves hunkered down in the studio part of their complex, turned off the lights, put their phones on silence, and were desperately messaging loved ones and the emergency services to tell them where they were. We can see over here at the moment, there's a large kind of media presence that's been out here throughout the day, and we've heard a couple of controlled explosions. We believe these were grenades that have been left by the attackers uh, that they've tried to make safe. And I don't know if you can make it out, but up on the bridge there, uh, bystanders have been gathering uh, to look at what is really the latest terror attack here in Kenya. It's been claimed by Al-Shabaab, which is the Al-Qaeda-linked group based in Somalia. Now, uh, US forces, together with Kenyan peacekeeping forces, are operating in Somalia, um, targeting uh, Al-Shabaab, where there have been a number of airstrikes in the first few weeks of this month alone in Somalia, uh, and like I say, targeting this group. So the investigation still continues for now. Uh, questions will be asked about the level of security. Although 15 people tragically died, I think many feared that it could have been far worse than that. Uh, but many people will fear that this isn't an isolated incident and there could be more to come. Wit? Ian Panel in Kenya, our thanks to you. We appreciate it. We do want to turn to London now and the stunning defeat for UK Prime Minister Theresa May. Parliament voting to reject her Brexit plan. Julia McFarlane is joining us now from London. And Julia, walk us through what happened here in this vote and the significance of what's going on. Hey there, Wit. Well, the easiest way to sum up what happened yesterday was that history uh, was made, but not necessarily in a good way, especially if you are Prime Minister Theresa May. Just to give you an example, just to uh, put into context uh, how stunning Theresa May's uh, defeat yesterday was, in the House behind me, the House of Commons, the lower house of uh, Parliament here in the UK, there's 650 lawmakers, members of Parliament, 432 rejected Theresa May's deal that she has spent two years negotiating with 27 other countries that make up the EU. Uh, that's a margin of 230. That is the biggest political defeat seen on the floor of the House of Commons since recorded history all the way back to 1918. So uh, history was certainly made last night, but it's significant because Theresa May's deal was uh, the best option that the government could put forward uh, to take the UK out of the EU and the clock is still ticking because lawmakers voted uh, into law uh, the UK's withdrawal date set for the 29th of March this year just 10 weeks away and there's it's anyone's guess as to what the future relationship will be will be now that uh, lawmakers rejected May's suggestion last night and Julia as you mentioned Theresa May have been working on this for two years uh, the United States markets around the world watching to see what will happen here what the economic impact could be on them but I want to ask you this, May is also facing a possible no-confidence vote here. Is it possible that she could soon be out of a job? 
Yeah, I just want to say quickly, you say that the world and the markets are reacting. Remember, President Trump, he made his own thoughts known on the deal. He said that he thought it was a bad deal. Uh, clearly, so did most of the House of Commons. Now, in the aftermath uh, of the government defeat yesterday, the opposition's a swift response was to call a vote of no confidence in the government. So now, tonight, in just a few hours, the House is currently debating that motion, and they will take a vote uh, on whether the House has any confidence in the government of Theresa May. Now, everyone is expecting uh, May and her government to survive this because all of the Tory rebels, the members of her own party who rebelled against her, they've all pledged that they will support the government. Uh, Northern Irish uh, parties will support the government as well. So the numbers really aren't uh, against Theresa May. But still, uh, that doesn't mean that she's in a safe position because she still now has to salvage some kind of Brexit plan. And Labour, the opposition party, they have said that they could call another vote of no confidence again and again and again. There's several of, the, of uh, Labour MPs have been hinting that today. Uh, and so, Theresa May, the fight is absolutely not over for her anytime soon. Uh, talk to me about the possible end game. What do we even know about that? Is it possible the UK could backtrack on this Brexit idea altogether? I mean, that's something what people are suggesting. What we know right now is if nothing happens, the UK will depart the EU without any, uh, without any trade deals, without any kind of positive terms, uh, because they voted into law. The UK is going to leave. Now, there are a few options. They can either delay uh, the date of leaving, push back the deadline. That's what's known as Article 50. You guys may, may have uh, heard it being mentioned um, uh, today. They may, they may extend that beyond uh, the current timetable for the 29th of March. Uh, people are also pushing very hard to have a second referendum. That's another possibility on the table. Uh, one thing that Theresa May is going to try and see if she can do is get further concessions from the EU. But just looking from the reaction from the continent today, there was dismay uh, at what happened here last night, but absolutely no hint from the Europeans that they're going to budge any further and give anything more to the Brits. Uh, so now May is hoping that Parliament uh, will finally try and come to some sort of solution uh, that they negotiate amongst themselves. All right, Julia McFarlane for us in London, thank you. So you've got the Brexit meltdown in the UK. We've got the government shutdown in the US. A lot of instability that we're watching around the world right now. We want to thank you so much for watching The Debrief. We hope that you'll come back here and tune in for The Briefing Room, our political show. That's at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Also, World News Primetime at 8 p.m. And, of course, download the ABC News app. You can get breaking news alerts straight to your smartphone. I'm Whit Johnson. Have a great day.